0: Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the gift of life. One more day. One one more day to prepare. One more day to serve. One more day, Lord. By faith to live in your presence. Now as we have gathered here for one purpose, Lord. As your word says, the Lord, as you see the day approach, gather and encourage one another, Lord. We have come for that one purpose alone, Lord. From far, your children have come. Because we see by faith the day getting closer and closer. So speak to us. Encourage us through the word, Lord. Because it's your word that will never pass away. The world and its desires will pass away. But your word says, he who does the will of God will live forever. Speak, Father, this morning, this evening, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. the, The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, when you see the day approaching, keep gathering more and more and more. Why? So that we don't lose our perspective. One, as we reach the end, because of the increase of knowledge, we see also the glory of this world, call it the satanic world, actually increasing. And people are actually swayed by the glory of this transient, passing world. The other side, the weight of life increases. People either get strayed away or they get depressed, discouraged, so we come together so we don't lose our perspective. That's where the Bible, especially the writer of Hebrews, will tell us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. That's in three one, the, uh, the, the high priest of a confession and Hebrews twelve two will say, Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Hebrews eleven one will say it's faith is this. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So we'll, we'll, the. It's not easy in the twenty first century for any preacher of the word to bring back the attention of the people, because people have to go out into the world to take their attention off the world and to be focused on the kingdom of God. But we have to keep going. In Second Corinthians four, therefore we do not lose heart. Lose heart. This is written to a set of people who are preparing for that day. Because it's very difficult if your eyes are on that coming kingdom to live in this world. And it says don't, don't lose heart. Because even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. It means both. One, the outward man perishing is actually your health is failing. You're growing weaker and weaker every second, every day. The other side is the outer man has many aspirations in this world. But the man of God, the child of God, doesn't fulfill most of it. So he says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because all you, had, you came with so many dreams and aspirations and most of it is just going to fall to the ground for God's people because he's not simply going to allow it to pass because his dreams for us are much bigger and they are eternal. And he says you will go through incredible suffering, but our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of joy while we do not look at the things which are seen. He says, unless you have your perspective right, by your perspective right, it says, we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For a moment, you went into the things that are seen. So I had to call your attention back, which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. It's so very difficult to actually believe the things that we see are temporary. That the things which we do not see are actually eternal. So we need to come back and have the perspective, the outward things and the inward things. How to see troubles, trials, temptations, everything. The reality of the unseen world. Through it all, the Holy Spirit, through his various servants, the apostles are trying to tell us what is actually is real. That the unseen will ultimately determine... The scene. That ultimately the unseen. Nobody sees hell now. Nobody sees heaven now. But ultimately the scene will be determined by this too. You either go to hell or you go to heaven. And that's the reality. So he says, do not let the scene determine your focus of your life. Let the unseen. Because the struggle even more now is because of our education. Because the modern education is scientific and it deals only with the seen, the physical and the material world. It cannot deal with the unseen. Unseen. Actually, if the scientific world stopped being scientific and read Genesis 1 and believed we'll be saving billions and trillions on wasted scientific space exploration. It's a total waste. Absolute trillions are billions are spent by nations on outer space, which is a total waste. But because they don't believe. They don't believe. Okay, But scientific education can at the most prepare you only for a scientific, successful life in the scene. And it can make you regret in the next life because it could end up as the total loss in the coming eternal life. So the Bible will constantly try to take us back to the unseen. In Ephesians 6 verse 10 and 12, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That is unseen. That's not seen. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the wives of the devil. That's also unseen. That is not seen. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, which is seen. You don't fight people, which is seen. But you actually fight the unseen. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. He says, if you are not aware of the unseen, you will not be even be aware that you are fighting an unseen battle. You will pick up a fight or fights in the seen battle. That's why people are all struggling with uh, their textbooks. Very few struggle with this. That's a real battle. The other is a seen battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 5, again, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down. He says even the weapons you are unseen. How many of you saw your prayer? How many of you, when you spoke the word, saw the effect in the spiritual realm? No. Because prayer is a weapon used in the unseen realm, and a lot of people don't see it, they're not effective in prayer. They just give up. They don't persist in prayer because it's not seen. They don't persist in the word of God because they do not see the word of God's effect in the unseen realm. They give up very fast. That's what the Bible is here talking about. It is mighty in God. It is powerful. Verse five, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You don't even realize how strongholds are pulled down when you believe and when you pray. Okay, that's where faith comes in. You need to realize faith is an application of God's word in the unseen realm. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, that's why scripture says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You pray by faith. You exercise the word of God by faith because you don't see, but yet you believe and therefore one day you will see. And in 2 Corinthians, God tells his people, my people, that is for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. And there is only way, like we sang today, grace, 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 the final. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we will win this war, be successful in this war, is through grace. The problem is there is only way you can access grace. It is through faith. No faith. No grace So we are left to fight in our own strength and fight in our own power. So today, tonight, once again, let us get back to the real world. that's the eternal world, the kingdom of God. You see, the devil has a very smart he has been exercising it for 6,000 years what I call a true, two-pronged strategy. The first one is to see that people do not hear the gospel. Hear the gospel. And if they hear the gospel, they don't believe the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Don't hear the gospel. Because if you hear and you believe, you are set free. So he puts them in religion. So it continues. One huge religion just finished two days back. Millions Millions and millions and millions. It's pointless. See, because scripture, religion is based on work. That's the only difference, the primary difference between all religions and Christianity. It's the end of man's work. So he doesn't want anybody to hear the gospel. That is his first strategy, not to hear the gospel. Second strategy is, by chance, somebody hears the gospel, and they believe, and they are saved. He continuously tries to deceive them, So they don't fight this fight and they don't finish this race. So they do not receive the promised reward. Because the reward is only for those who finish the race, not those who join the race, those who finish the race. And I will tell you that he's very successful in both one and two. Now I didn't say it, Jesus said it. Very familiar portion again, Matthew 7. 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate. Difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You have to go back to this over and over over again. What the devil does, he tampers with two things here. In this verse. He tampers with the gate. And he tampers with the way. What he does is, he makes the gate wide, and he makes the way broad. Now, let me tell you, let me use this example. Let us say there are one, two, three, four, four, four door, sets of doors here to enter into this hall. And this door is very, very narrow. Imagine it is only this much. The rest, How many of people will come through this door? How many will try to come through this door? Everybody will try to get through the broad door. Because it's easy. And that's what is happening behind the gospel. The gospel had been changed to make the door very broad, very easy. And Jesus said, it is not easy to enter into the kingdom of God. Who wants to drive? Let us say from here, from let us say big to let us say maybe all half of us stay al or No? There is this highway that is going. No traffic. Very nice highway, three-lane, four-lane, six-lane. And then there is a short, narrow gully with hardly one vehicle can go through. Which road will you take? That's exactly what he does. He tampers with the gate and he tampers with the way. You know why we are so comfortable? When I say we, I'm speaking to a larger audience. Why we are very, very, very comfortable With our salvation is because the way we have chosen. We have chosen. We get very complex. That's why the purpose of the pulpit is to bring us back to that way. But by chance, somebody has entered the right way and is on the narrow road. The race begins. Suddenly perspective changes. The race begins. Race begins. The interesting part is, the Bible calls this race to building something. It's called building or building. Okay, let's give say it is called a building, a process. Let's see, First Corinthians. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it. Well, let each one take heed how he builds on it. Again, for us, familiar passages, but don't get too familiar with the word of God. For no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through Fire. Verse 11 over here, verse 11 says, No other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It is talking about the narrow gate and the narrow way. There's no other way. That's a foundation. So Paul says, and that's why God used Paul to write most of the new covenant scripture, I believe from Romans to Hebrews, is because he was a master builder who would never change the foundation. Imagine, think about it, always think about it. Where are all these disciples with whom Jesus taught and walked for three and a half years? Why didn't he use them to write scripture? Because he was looking for somebody who'd lay the foundation very, very clearly, wouldn't change it. And he's the man. And he says, as a master builder, I have laid the foundation. No other foundation can any man lay. What is that? It's that narrow gate. So verse 10, 11 is talking about that narrow gate. After that narrow gate and the narrow way, constring you are in the race, but the race is compared to a building, scripture says, first warning, let each one take heed how you build. Be careful how you build. Be very careful how all of us build, how you build. Verse 12 says, with what you build. Verse 10 is talking about, be very careful how you build your life. Second thing is with what you build your life. These are two different things. How you build and with what you build. Okay? It is in this context, in a personal, a person's personal believer's life, Paul changes everything and says what is important. Like today. In a normal, average Indian family, No, let's say not believer, unbeliever, let's say secular-minded, everybody is becoming very secular-minded. What is the most important thing they will say is education. And even in education they will say BPC. If you are in Telangana, MPC, BPC. It's all based on career. You know, Paul turns it all around. He says the kingdom of God is different. Kingdom of God is different. He says in 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, Now abide faith, hope, love of these three, the greatest of these. He says, you know what? The most important is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Okay? How you build? Love. What do you build with? By faith. Then you have a hope for a real reward. He says, be careful how you build and with what you build. That's why Paul commended the Thessalonian church. In his first letter, his first doctrinal letter is written to the Thessalonian church. And this is what he says. Remembering without ceasing. What? Your work of faith. Your labor of love. The patience of hope. Why did they have incredible patience? In their hope. It's because are Building correctly. He says your work, you're building the right block, you're doing it by faith. And when you are laboring, the attitude of your heart is absolutely clear. You are in love with Jesus. You are in, in madly in love with God. He says your la- work of faith, your labor of love, and your hope. And that is in endurance, perseverance, patience in your hope. Today's generation, you know, we don't have uh, patience. It's all quick. And the system makes it all very, 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 very quick. Quick results. But in the kingdom of God, it is a race. And one of the things you need is patience. Incredible patience to hope for glory. Because you are running a race primarily in the unseen. Often you do not see any result of your work. You don't see any result of your work. Often you do not receive any response for your work of labor of love. Yet you continue. Yet you continue. Enoch had to walk 300 years with God before he was taken alive. Yet you continue because your eyes are focused on the unseen. So the devil, what he will do is he will try to deceive us To run in such a manner that we lose our rewards. Lose our rewards. You are saved, your foundation was right. That's what 1 Corinthians 3.15 was saying. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through fire. What is the loss he will suffer? Eternal loss. It's your reward. That what we are supposed to get. We lose that. So he will fool us over there. God says, remember, you are saved. i put you in a race. At the end of the race, when you finish, there is a reward that is forever and ever and ever. There is a crown that will never perish. There is work that will be unbelievably enjoyable. There is so much reserved in eternity. Keep your eyes on that. Don't get fooled. There is a reward. Watch out. God says, watch out. In 2 John 1, eight, actually John would say in our words, watch out, look to yourself, that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. He says, you can run three quarters of the race, and then in the last hour, or last stretch, drop the baiting and lose your reward. He says, remember, look out. Don't lose the things you worked for. People of faith are working for certain things. It is not here, it is there. And he says, don't lose your reward. If you finish well, you will receive a full reward. And it is not an easy race. And God does not even ever say it is easy. Why doesn't he say it is easy? It's because of the nature of the reward. How many of you are sitting young people say neat exam is easy? How many of you who cleared the need and finished that need for PG is easy? Why? Because the rewards of those career are incredible. Therefore, the race is very difficult. But there is no greater race than eternal rewards. And God never says it is easy. Salvation is easy in the sense because it is on his work. The difficult part is to believe only in his work. That is the difficult part. If God said all your unrighteous deeds are like filthy rags before me, we would have said hallelujah. But that's not what he says. He says every good you have done is worth nothing before me. That's our problem. It's so difficult for any man to put his entire trust in the work of Christ on the cross and that alone and stand on it all his life. It's not easy. It's not easy. And especially as knowledge increases, it is not easy to rest on God alone. For your salvation. That's why the gate is very narrow. And God doesn't allow anything to be added to the work of his Christ. So he says, it's not easy. He says, your love will be tested. Especially your love for God. You will be tested. And therefore the love for one another. Your faith will be tested. When your love and faith is tested, your hope will be tested. And every event in this world, in the life of the believer... Is tuned in by God in accordance to this race. But you have to finish the race. There is no certificate of merit for participation in heaven. There are crowns only for those who finish. In second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7: I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. That is where his Hope comes. And when he finishes the race, there's something he says. Till the end, I ran by faith and not by sight. I kept my faith. I didn't run by sight. I ran by faith. So remember, it is for those who finish. Starting well is good. A good start is always good. But that doesn't promise a good finish. It's the finish that matters. And Bible over and over, Jesus from his own mouth, the gospel writers all wrote about it, Jesus saying this. In Matthew 10 verse 21 and 22. Now brother will deliver a brother to death, a father his child, the children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he endures to the end will be saved. He says you need to endure till the end. And what did this do the test of? It's the test of your love. It's the test of your faith. Do you love God more than everybody else? Will you run this race by faith and faith alone and not but why it is seen? God says only one who endures till the end. You have to endure till the end. Next one. That's in Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It's very interesting. you know. When God says all this thing, He doesn't give you any loopholes. Oh when that happens I will stretch my hand and pull you. He says nothing. thing Something like that. These physical things he says doesn't bother me. I've seen the other side. And I know the other side. And my children also need to see the other side. And run that race in the midst of this. Many will be offended. Will betray one another. And will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will. He says, in the midst of all of this, it's a test of your love. It's a test of your love. He says, your love will be tested. How you are building will be tested in the midst of it. And verse 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved. If you look at verse 10 in there, in verse 10. If you look, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. It's a test of your faith. Verse 12, it's a test of your love. You see again in Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but you endures the end shall be saved. You see, God created us. The way he created us, because God is love, God created us with his capacity or with his nature that everyone sitting over here craves affection. Craves affection. And God suddenly comes and says, you know what? An hour will rise in your life when everybody will hate you for my name's sake. And it's going to be your test where you will be content with my affection alone. And it's only by faith. You don't even feel it. Just looking at the cross, you know that I love you. And you will choose that over the affection of the people. The Bible is very clear in all the Gospels. In Luke chapter 21, verse 12 to 19, before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for the testimony. He says, that's the test. When it happens, which way will you go? Will you stand for me or you will deny me? Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head shall be lost. Even if you burn in the fire, he says, when you reach there, all the hair will be back. Nothing will be lost. Because you stood for me. By your patience, scripture says, possess your souls. He says, do you have the patience of hope? So your faith is tested. Your love is tested. Your patience is tested. Why? Because those who walk by faith, they know God is in control of all the events of history. And their eyes are on the unseen and not on the seen realm. So unless we see this in the perspective of the kingdom of God, the unseen realm, this book and the kingdom of God will not make sense. It is so, so difficult, unlike in the old, old days, it's so, so difficult to go to a school or to a college each day and not to come back without believing. It's very difficult because of what is being told. Because you see, education was supposed to be only a means where you, you um, receive a skilled For a particular trade, whether you're a doctor or an engineer, it was just to equip you with a trade. But today it is not. Education is now ideology. It is not a trade. It's an ideology where they teach you which way to think and not to think this way. That's why education has become so dangerous now. It's so dangerous. And a doctor 20, uh, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, did not have to make so many moral choices. He never had to think, ask, can I about or not about? There was no moral choices. Life was sacred. Today everything is a choice. Even medicine has become ideologically fashioned. Engineering also has become ideologically fashioned. Everything. So God says, would you stand till the end? You see, the church in Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, had a fantastic works of faith. But it was warned they would be disqualified because they were failing the test of love. The church in Smyrna, on the other hand, is being encouraged in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear about any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto, unto death. I'm not going to save you, he says. You will die. But I want to be very careful how you die. Die in faith. When it came to Smyrna, I believe they have passed the test of love. Now God is saying you need to pass the test of faith. Be faithful unto death. And if he says, he says, you will receive your reward. What you will receive is the crown of life. The reason I believe this he says to Smyrna and he doesn't say to Philadelphia is because I believe Smyrna is caught in time where his second coming is not imminent. While Philadelphia is caught in time where his second coming is imminent. So to Philadelphia he says, hold on, I see you, you're passing the test of love, you're passing the test of faith, you're passing the test of patience. So I will take you out because of time. Where these churches are caught. That's why I believe the difference between of the time and age in which the churches are caught in history. Like I said, rewards are promised to only those who finish. In Hebrews three and verse fourteen, for we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to thee till the end. It's a journey a race, there's a beginning, and there is a finish till the end. In Revelation 2 to 26, another church, he who overcomes and keeps my works, my works, until the end. Until the end. To him will I give power over the nations. He says, he will receive the reward till the end. Remember, till the end. That's the reward. So we are not just running a race, we are running a race for rewards. And those rewards are eternal. That's why Hebrews 11 and verse 6 said, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. Like we know, even in this life, everyone will receive according to what you pursue. That's why Jesus says, let it be according to to you, according to your faith. So God constantly asked his question when Jesus walked on earth, what do you seek? What do you seek? Gifts or the giver? What do you seek? When people only sought something from Jesus, he gave it to them. But those who sought him, he said, follow me. What do you seek? He says, you're running a race. Remember. You can run a temporal race for temporal rewards and follow Jesus for that. You can run an eternal race a race on earth that's also temporary but for eternal rewards because you are running for something that is eternal. Look at this, the context. In Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. What does he tell him? I am your reward. That's a promise to the father of believers. I am your reward. I am your shield. Exceedingly great. I am your reward. He doesn't understand it. But later he understands it. He doesn't understand when it's being said. He says, what's the point in rewarding me? I've got so much blessings, but I have no children to take care of it. It's like building a business and no... In- no... Else. What's the point in all these rewards, O oh Lord? He's thinking in the physical realm. But that's not what God is saying. But later he will understand. And the the Bible, God, through his servant James, will speak about it in chapter 2. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see his faith was working together with his work? And by works, what was happened? His faith was made. Perfect. God is the author and the finisher of perfect. So his faith was made perfect. And what happened? And scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called what? Ah, That is the greatest reward any man will receive in eternity. That he or she will be actually called the friend of God. There is nothing greater than that. Friend of God. Meaning somebody with whom God shares his heart. Very close relationship. Real close relationship. It's closer than a marriage. Because there are so many people who are married, but they're not friends. They have friends outside the marriage. They're not friendly in the marriage. See, spouses sometimes share things with somebody outside, maybe to a friend, but don't consider their husband or their wife as their friend. And the greatest reward a person can receive in eternity is to be called the friend of God. And this is the ultimate test of love. And the ultimate test of faith. The ultimate test of your hope. That's why the stress on the hearing of the word of God. Hearing on the word of God. Because it's the word of God which is testing whether my love is true. Because the world has different ideas about love. The word of God will tell you whether your love is true. Different ideas about everything, but the word of God alone is true. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, scripture says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God will cut you open and actually will show you. When you actually hear the word, I mean... For years and years, Abraham and Sarah are thanking God every day, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. We love you so much because in our old age, you gave us a son. You have blessed us beyond imagination. Life is so nice. We are living a nice retired life, Lord. Our son is growing so nicely. We love you, love you, love you, Lord. We love you more than anything. And one God they said, really? Sure? Do one thing. Take your only son. Take a three day journey and offer him as a sacrifice. First, it's a test of your love. Do you love me more than you love your son? Second, it's a test of faith. Will you obey me even if it means it will cost you everything? See, we see all this. That's why scripture says the word of God will cut through and is a dishonor of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. When that old man with that young son made that three-day journey, God was watching. And he says, you are my friend. You are my friend. That's when God declares, you are my friend. You love me. I know Abraham, you love me more than you love Isaac. More than you love Isaac. So that's where the key comes. That's where faith comes. Faith comes from hearing. So we need to realize, all of us, no. Even to continue in this journey, we need to keep hearing. At every stage of our life, we need to keep hearing. We have to hear. Because this is what Paul is saying. He says, he doesn't doubt his heart. He knows he loves God, and God knows this guy loves me more than anything. But he says, I have run this race. I have fought this fight. That is a fight of faith. And I have kept that faith. What we need is, Faith and see that our heart is governed by love for God. This love for God is always connected with choices we make. But faith, always the hearing should bring faith. Why is it so important that we have to hear? Let's see. Let's just look at a few things. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He says power is there. That is grace. Everything you need for life, for godliness, it is given there through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What has been given? We have been given incredible promises in the word of God. General, I'm not talking about general promises. I'm talking about promises which are specific to individuals. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 20, scripture says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God, through us. The promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, but it brings glory to God through us. And the promises of God does not come to pass automatically. They have to be fought for and acquired by faith. Fought by faith and acquired by faith. A divided mind cannot receive it. Divided mind cannot receive That's one of the reasons God says stay away from the world, do not love the world, do not have friendship with the world because the world divides your mind. And a man whose mind is half in the world and half in the world cannot receive anything from God because God has said very clearly a divided person receives nothing from God. The devil will give something to a divided man but God will not. The devil's very purpose of giving to a divided mind is to see that he does not believe fully in God. But God has said very clearly he will not. So be very, very, very careful because you cannot love the world and claim the word. Because everything is in the promises. You have to believe in God and in his promise alone. In Romans 10 verses 8 to 11. This is the first promise for a believer, the starting point. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For scripture says, "Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. All you have is this, three verses. You believe in your heart. And confess with your mouth. What is that? In Jesus Christ. And he died. He rose again. And I believe only in that for my salvation. Only. Think about it. It's very easy to take it at that level. Let us say after that. Let's say Jyoti sitting over here. heard this. She really believes in my heart and she confesses that Jesus, Lord, I believe in you only for righteousness. And after that, God says, Jyoti, sit down for 20 years and do nothing. And believe you will go to heaven. Do nothing. That's when the trouble begins. Really? I don't have to do anything to go to heaven? Is it easy? Because so many people in Christendom actually have put a lot of weight on their good works to make it to heaven. God says, no, nobody will make it to heaven because of good works. Salvation is the point where you will believe in this and you will confess that. That's all. That's why Paul is so different. Pastor Vijay was preaching. What does Paul say? I am the least of the apostles. I am the worst of sinners. What does he mean by all that? The other side. If I am the worst of sinners and expecting a crown, it is on his righteousness and his righteousness alone. I'm not believing in anything that I have done for my salvation. It's his salvation and his salvation alone. And God says, can you do that? Do you? Honestly, when we check our hearts do you really, really, really... like Especially certain professions... Dr. Like Richard here... Saves lives of thousands of patients. And God says, don't you dare put your trust in that. Or a teacher, a professor... Who educates hundreds and hundreds of students... And they reach the pinnacle of success. God says, don't you dare put trust in your work. Or a soldier who fights for the land and dies as a martyr. God says, when you die... Believe in my son and my son's salvation alone. Your death does not guarantee anything there. Martyr on earth, nobody in heaven if you don't believe in my son. It's not easy. We just read it like that. But we need to understand what salvation means. And everybody struggles with this. And Christians struggle with this. Believers struggle with this. And God says, this is it. From the beginning until the end. Your salvation is based only on this. On what my son has done. That's why we have see this emergent religion that is coming in, where all religions are being collapsed into one, and you have all these religious leaders coming and meeting and standing together, all the big top religious leaders in different, different places. What are they saying? They're all basically saying that you will be saved by good works. And everybody likes it, because salvation is in your hand, not in God's hand and what is the only religion which will not accept that it is when christ and the cross is preached christ and cross and that's why they call that fundamental conservative christianity has intolerant Do you understand? And you, we don't realize so many people sitting in the churches actually subscribe to that. Now that's how the Antichrist will come. Because they will all become one based on good works. And they will deny the cross. When you deny the cross, there is no hope for salvation. Because now you are believing on yourself and your religion and your good works to make you to heaven and not on the work of Christ. And God stands there and says... All your good works are like filthy rags before me. Anyone who comes to Christ to heaven should come through my son. It's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father other than through me. Exclusive. So the first one is the first promise. Is the starting point. And then move on to the promises of God. Let God speak to you and me. Allow God to speak to you. Because his promises are connected with his plans for you and me. So it will differ from person to person. It's not the same. There are common promises, there are incredibly specific promises. What is happening is, our generation has been dulled by education which is preparing you for a successful career in the world. They are not seeking God and receiving specific promises which is connected to being successful in eternity. We have replaced education with the promises of God. It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very, very dangerous thing. In eternity, it's a very dangerous thing. Like I said, education is a skill. It's a trade. But promises of God are connected with eternity. And when the promises of God and the education you have received start taking two ways apart, you leave your education and you go the other way. Because this is temporary, that is eternal. Anyway, look at, look at the prophets in the Bible. Elisha was a farmer. Amos was a god herd. Elijah was, we don't even know what his profession was. Moses was a prince. David was a shepherd. They were all educated and skilled in other things. But when the promise of God and the education started going, they chose the promise of God and went the other way. Be educated. Be skilled. Be the best you can be for the glory of God. But remember, you're not running a temporary race. Running an eternal race. In eternity all these things will count. Absolutely count. That's why you have to receive your promise. Let's look at examples in Genesis 17 verse 19. This is even before it's in 18. God will come and eat, has his lunch. With Abraham and then give the promise this time next year, Sarah will have a child. So before any of these things have happened, God comes and tells, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall name his name Isaac. This is an old man and an old woman. God comes and says, you will have a son. And your son's name shall be Isaac. And I will, est- I will establish my covenant with him. And through his dissonance. Can I have it? Through him, he says. I will establish my covenant with whom? With him. For an everlasting covenant and with his dissonance after him. Did you see the promise? Then was the promise given? And he and Sarah had no children. That's the promise. If you have a promise like that, be very sure that promise is going to be tested. Promise is going to be tested. That's why Isaac also knows once he's born, Isaac also knows the promise. Abraham knows the promise. Sarah knows the promise. He knows this child is of God. So the question is, can you pick your pick as a wife for him? You cannot. Look at the next verse, next one. Genesis twenty four. He said, O Lord God of my Abraham, Master, God of my master Abraham, please give me success in this day, show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men and city are coming out to draw water. Now let there be that young woman to whom I will say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. Did you see? If Isaac was appointed for you, by you, then Isaac's wife should be appointed by you. So if you are a child of God within the kingdom of God and you have received a promise, then everything that happens in your life should be connected to the promise. You cannot make random choices because it will affect your eternity. Verse 50, what does the family say? Labar and Bithuel answered and said, the thing comes from God, from the Lord. We cannot speak to either bad or good. I mean, what can we say? This is God. This is God. Genesis 25, 21. I said, pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Why should he plead with God because she is barren? Why can't you take another wife from God? Like your father did. He pleaded. So you think God made the the work of faith very easy? Son is born by faith. Reared by faith. Surrendered by faith. Wife chosen by faith. Wife left by faith. Why did it not written like it's written in Genesis 15? Abraham knew Hagar and she conceived. That's how you expect, right? Isaac knew Rebecca and she conceived. Instead she's barren. And he's contending with God in prayer. Why? Because your faith has to be tested. Did you believe in my promise? Why would God pick a barren woman for Isaac? When the promise is that through him, the dissonance, the promised seed actually will come to test his faith. Because the promises of God can be only acquired by faith. And that you tested faith when your hope is in God alone. You see, in this race, so many of us, at so many stages, just gave up before. One, we never received a promise. And if we received a promise, we hung in for some time and then like Abraham. And we console ourselves. I am, after all, a child of Abraham, not a brother of Isaac. He must have prayed. You promised to my father. It is through my descendants. And you know, Lord, not only that, you not only promised to my father. I myself heard you say this to my father when I was tied onto the altar at Moriah. I heard you say that to my father. It's through my descendants. So I am praying, Lord, open my wife's womb. I believe because you said through my, open my wife's womb. How many years did he pray? Twenty years by faith. Because you have a promise to hold on. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I believe. Therefore I speak. Sometimes our, our, some of our prayers have no strength because we haven't received a promise. And even if you received a promise, when we see things all happening contrary, Isaac has seen a promise. Received a promise. What is happening is contrary. One year barren, two years barren, three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years. It's all contrary. But your promise is true. You still believe? And I still believe. Five years before my son was born. I didn't even know that I was going to have another child. I didn't even know. Five years before. That was an... May the 5th, 1996, he said, I will give you another child. It shall be a son, and you shall call him Andrew. Five years before. No scan, nothing. But When he was conceived, it said, it is a boy. When it was conceived, I said, his name shall be Andrew. One week before he was born, I gave Ladoos to all the soldiers in the garrison church. This is for my son, Andrew. And therefore, even when you don't see things happening now in his life, it doesn't bother me. It bothers me in the physical, doesn't bother me in the spiritual, because I know he has spoken. He doesn't give you a promise like that about a child to destroy that child, but because he has a purpose for that child. You and I need promises to hold on when everything goes dark. The only thing you will hold on is the promise of God. And he's a promise-giving God. He's a God who speaks. That's why it "Get so, so gung-ho about your job and your career and your studies that you don't wait to hear from God. Lord, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do with my life? Hear from God because we have a God who speaks. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in the heaven. Your word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. His word will, if he has spoken, so it is. It will never pass away. But where is it settled? In heaven. Scripture doesn't say, forever your word is settled on earth. So no, it's settled in heaven. Ephesians 1, three, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. Where is every spiritual blessing? It's in the heavenly places in Christ. God's rules are there. These are his rules. Listen to this carefully. Second Corinthians 13.1 this will be the third time I'm coming to you. Why? Old covenant and new covenant. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. How many witnesses? Minimum? Two. At least two witnesses for a word to be established. In heaven, every word is established by three witnesses. The father, the son, And the Holy Spirit always agree. That's why scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Every word of God is established in heaven by three witnesses, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But on earth, God's word is forever established in the heavens, but you need at least two. Look at Isaiah 55, verse 11. Very familiar words. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. He says, my word that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. shall not return it empty. Unaccomplished. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I send. The question is, how does the word return to him? Accomplished. How does it? From the mouth of the believer who receives it and speaks it back. Now God has two witnesses. His word is forever established in heavens. Now his word is established in the heart of the one who receives it. I believe. There are so many things the culture is saying around. What is that? You can have the slaves and have a child and that child can be no Lord. Your word is forever established in the heavens. What did you say? Through me. Therefore I stand here Lord and I pray. It's through me and through Rebecca. Do you know what Hebrews 3 once calls him? Therefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest of our confession. That's why the devil wants us to confess according to what we see and not according to what we believe. When what he has spoken to you, let's say Dr. Richard, and what he says out of his mouth doesn't tally, God's word is forever established in heaven's, But there is no returning witness coming from earth. There is no returning witness coming from earth. He's the high priest of our confession. I am not talking about randomly confessing the word of God. Though it has its own power. I am not talking about that. I am talking about receiving promises from God. Receiving promises from God. Receiving here. And you know God has spoken to you. And it is very specific to you. And you know God has spoken. Now you speak it out. And it will come to pass. It doesn't matter whether it takes 10 years or 20 years. Because you are not looking for something that is temporary here. You are seeing the fulfillment which will have an effect in eternity. In worldly realm, I can understand that. If somebody says, how old are you? I'm 30. Okay, I will give you a, retire- a promotion at 15. And at the point, 60, I will retire. Because on earth, everything has got a time limit. If it is not satisfied within that time limit, we lose our interest. But eternity is not like that. Eternity is not like that. In Revelation 12 and verse 11, Scripture says, Those who overcame the devil, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by what he did on the cross, and two, by the word of their testimony. They overcame the devil because the testimony of their mouth tallied with the word of God he had spoken over them. It tallied. And the devil couldn't do anything because his word is forever established in heavens and now his word is established on earth in your life. And they defeated the devil. That is what scripture is talking about. That is what Romans 10, 9 was. The word of faith is very near you. Very close to you. Listen carefully what the Lord is saying. Listen, listen, listen. That's why we focus on this. Please listen. Don't get distracted. And the distraction the world causes is that you will not hear the gentle whisper of God. when He's speaking to you. Something very specific. You hear it, you hold on to it. And then it doesn't matter what your situation like that. You know His Word is forever settled in the heavens. And He, what He speaks is from the Word. And the Word will never pass away. And you can stand on it. Our prayer life should be a confession of what God has spoken to us. We bring into His remembrance what He has spoken to us. In Deuteronomy 30, again familiar verse, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your dissonance may live. He says choose life. Choose, he says, death and life. Blessing and curse, he says, choose life. In Proverbs 18, 21. There is life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Are you getting the picture? Now let's put our feet on the brake over there and take a slight shift connected with that. You have to be very careful. Because otherwise we will all become Old Testamental people. The new covenant, Jesus comes and there is an unbelievable paradigm shift. He comes and introduces to us the kingdom of God. Okay. Life and death, I said before you, blessing and curses you choose. And he says, life and death is in the power of the Tongue. So all covenant promises were all connected with the material things and they had to believe and speak. Don't change your confession. Joshua just because you lost before I don't change your confession. My word is forever settled. I said I give you this land. So if you haven't got the land go check where you go wrong. Don't say I went wrong. Okay. But in Matthew 6 verse 25 Jesus comes and says I say to you do not worry about your life. This is the worldly life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and body more than clothing. He changes the entire aspect about life. He says life is not with, connected with any of the things you think of, according to the old covenant. That's what Jesus was saying in John ten ten. 10. The thief does not come, expect to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And life in? Now think about it. Did Jesus really come to give us things? Did he really have to come and die to give us things? In the Old Testament they got so much things without him having to die. Better things and more things. Unworked things also. Think about it. How do you see life? The life he is offering is greater than any Old Testament saint could ever expect. No Old Testament saint could expect what he was offering because what he is offering is in the new covenant. John 17 verse 2 and 3 You have given him authority over all flesh that he should give what? Eternal life To as many as you have given him. So he takes life over there and adds eternal aspect to it. There's an eternal aspect. So you always have to ask this question where I'm putting all my strength, all my time, all my energy, how much of it will I carry to eternity? How much of it will I carry to eternity? He adds eternal to it. Okay? Okay. And life in abundance. That is the point. That is how the des- devil deceives believers. Because what is coming is eternity. And scripture is very clear. Eyes have not seen, ears, heard or human language. I add human language ever invented which can describe what God is prepared for those who love him. What eternity is like. But the key to all this is eternity, the unseen. Eternity for everybody will be determined by actually the quality of eternal life. So you have to see your life on earth bigger than a career or bigger than a success only as a platform to a reward in eternity. That is why the caution, be careful how you build. Be careful what you build with. Let's look at Old Testament rewards. Okay? Temporary. Material. Physical. Whole. You have to read the whole thing to understand. We know part of it very well because for every baby dedication we read it. Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandments. These are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. That you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to. So where are they going? They are crossing over to a physical land. We are not crossing over to a physical land. We are going to an eternal land. A spiritual land. They are crossing over. So he says that you may fear the Lord, your God, keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you, you and your son, your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So long life was an incredible blessing in the old covenant, not in the new covenant. In the new covenant, no saints wants to live long if his work is over. People like Paul who have run their race so well is saying that I long to go, I long to go, I long to go, I long to go. But I'm staying back because only he says, stay back. To how many of our pastors and men of God in our underground churches, when they are at those stages, I will tell them, I don't release you. I need you. Stay back. Till today our evening, I don't release you. I need you here. You want to go, but I'm not ready to release you. There's still work to be finished. I know you have finished your race. But that's a different thing. They still work for you. So they want to go. Old covenant. That's why even people, righteous people like Hezekiah, when they come and hear you're going to die, they cry and weep and all. Because everything is here. Prolonged life. It's all physical. It's all material. They have no concept about the kingdom of God. They have no idea. They know about eternity, but they have no clue what eternity is like. And then, Therefore, here, O Israel, careful to observe that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your Father has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is... One, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. All these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And then teach your children. Teach them diligently. your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by them, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as the frontlets between your uh, eyes. Okay. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house on your gates. Okay. Till then is all the things they would do. And if you do all these things, what do you get? Question, no? Children will ask, no? Do all your homework and then what do I get? So that's the answer. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which we sowed to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. What are you going to get? Cities which you did not build. Second, houses full of good things. Which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Did you see, all the promises he gave to them was temporal and here for obeying the word of God and following him in his ways. In the new covenant, listen, Unbelievable shift of focus from this scene realm. No. That's why these preachers come and change the kingdom of God and says believe in the God for a big house which you did not build. Be- believe for this thing. It is a totally out of focus message. Which is not preparing you for eternity. Which will actually caused loss in eternity. The focus changes completely. It's the kingdom of God. And what is the nature of that kingdom? Matthew 11, 12. From the days of John the Baptist. He is the first one to say repent for the kingdom of God. Along with repentance. Okay. If you remember your Hebrews 6. What is it called? Repentance from? What is that? It's not just your sin. It also pursuing the things of this world is a dead work. It is worth nothing clamoring and fighting for all these things in this world. God says, are you a fool? Do you know what eternity is like that? So repent from that old covenant promises and start seeing the new covenant promises. Kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's spiritual violence. Not physical. Don't start fighting. Okay? See the focus changes suddenly from the Body to the soul. Changes from the old covenant promises all were connected with the body. But sin has come so anyone will die. But even when you know you will die, what do you want to do? You want to prolong your days on earth. And have houses which you didn't build. Houses full of good things. Running water. Those days, well which you did not dig. Trees which are very fruitful. So everything was connected with the body. But there is a shift in the new covenant from the body to the soul. The eternal part. And that's what he says in Matthew 10. Do not fear those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul. In the old covenant they were always afraid of those who killed the body. And even in death they wanted to die honorably. So Samuel will say don't let the Philistines mess up me. I will die on myself. Death in the body has, they avoided death in the body or had to die in an honorable way. Honor was there even in the way you died in the physical. That's a change. Don't worry about who can harm your body, but cannot kill the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why the rich man is called a fool. Because he was incredibly successful without factoring The soul, the eternal part. Eternal part. And you know, till today, Israel is still fighting for the physical promises of God. Sadly. They have to fight every day to hold on to that piece of land. A fraction of the piece of land which God has given him. Every day, 24-7, they are on alert and fighting. Why? to keep the promises because their eyes haven't been opened to see the eternal promises of God. So they still have to live in that physical realm. And he says, how pitiable is when people of the new covenant live like that, fighting every day to get hold of those physical promises. Do you know what life is? That's why there is an incredible paradigm shift in the Bible. Let me finish it. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, 11 to 14. If Paul, what he wrote to Timothy, Moses had told to the children of Israel, nobody would have left Egypt. What I'm going to read now from scripture in the new covenant, if Moses had told them in Egypt, they would have said, we will stay here. We are not coming. What is it said? Godliness with contentment is great, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing. What's the historical record of Israel? Israel went into Egypt during the time of famine, has 70 with nothing, and came out with much things. Okay? We brought nothing, we take nothing out. Then, having food and clothing, with these we shall be... Uh, you think they would have left? They wouldn't have left. But those who decide to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. How did we change the gospel? How did we change the gospel? God is saying very, very few people in the kingdom of God can handle riches without destroying themselves. Very few, he Very few can. Because the minute riches comes, autonomy comes. Autonomy comes. And very few people are able to handle that autonomy and still be surrendered the way they were always were. Very very few. It actually affects your eternal race. And then, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Did you see this? So how do you see eternity? The light of the new covenant. How are you running your race? Why is this shift coming? Because in the new covenant, God is changing our eyes to eternity, the age to come. And God dwells in eternity. We dwell in time. In Isaiah 57 and verse 15, scripture says, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits... He inhabits eternity. Eternity is not even a long period of time. It's a completely different thing where there is no time. He inhabits eternity. God dwells in eternity. In Ecclesiastic 3 and verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also He has put, where? Not in your mind, in your heart. In your heart. That's why in every whichever part of the world people are, when death starts approaching, people get very religious because it's put eternity into their hearts. They don't know. They don't know. But they go. The older Muslims, they go over and over and over on Hajj. Half the people who will go for the Kumbha Mela are all older people. They are not even able to travel. with special trains, somehow young. their children will take them and dip them. Why? Because God has put eternity in their hearts. He dwells in eternity and has put eternity and eternity is approaching and they don't know what to do. They think this will help them. It won't help you. It won't help you. Let's put eternity into your hearts. But they are not the ones who are pitiable. The pitiable ones are the ones who, who know what eternity is and is still running after the temporal. That's why the Bible says they are the most pitiable of all people. Don't worry about all the people who go to Al-Habad and Kumbh mela and all. Even there, there are plenty of Christian sadhus in Saffron who are giving the gospel. They are Christian, actual Christian sadhus. They are not Hindu sadhus, they are Christian sadhus. There are plenty of them. I have also met them in my travels. Plenty of the, God has His servants everywhere, so just be burdened by the burden God puts in your heart. Don't carry somebody else's burden and all. Seeing one, this thing, you no, know, like, I see all these people, every time I go to the Bhutan border, I will see these Americans and all, why have you come here? No, God, I said, God put a burden for you for this country. I said, do you know where you're standing? Yeah, I'm in Bugdogur. I said, do you know how many people there is in Suduguri? No. I said, there are probably around 40, 50 lakhs. Do you know how many people there are in Bhutan? No, 7 lakhs. You mean you're saying that there are 50 people, lakh people here. You don't even know them. And you, if you've got such a burden for 7 lakh people in that country, and you don't even know their language, you don't know their culture, you don't know anything about them. You just saw a map. What are you going to do over there? Why are you all over here? It's just feelings. You just want one more pla- flag pin put on your missionary board outside your church to show we reached that place too. You didn't reach anything. The burden has to be placed by God. It cannot be, it cannot be a man made burden. It has to be placed by God. For God to sustain it through it all. Everything has to be of God. That's what the Bible is talking about. He has put eternity into our hearts. But the weight of eternity is actually realized only in the new covenant by a man who is born of that spirit that inhabits eternity. Now not only was there eternity in the heart of every man, now you have been born again by that eternal spirit. That's what Psalm 90 words to Moses will say. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are O oh God. You are eternal O oh God. That's why every time we come over, we are trying to change your heart, mind, your eyes to the eternal from the temporary. Everlasting to everlasting. is eternal. You know, one of the incredible revelations Isaiah gets when he prophesies 600 years before Jesus is born about the little child. You know what it is? Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Eternal Father. You know what he is? He is the eternal. That's what Simeon saw. My eyes have seen the eternal Father. Let me go. I've seen eternity. There were two people who were able to identify him because they were living in the temporal with their eyes on eternity. Therefore they identified eternity when it appeared before them. Eternal Father. He's the everlasting Father. And what is coming is the eternal kingdom. That is why this gospel preaching. The eternal kingdom is coming. In Revelation 11 verse fifteen, scripture says. Then the seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying. The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign for ever and ever. It's eternal. The day it happened. Everything is over. No more race. Race is over. Wherever you are caught in your race, wherever we are caught in our fight. It's over. And do you know the rest of the rest of the verse? 16 to 18? And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Eternal. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. And verse 18 The nations were angry, your wrath has come, the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should. Time for reward has come. A lot of people waiting. They have run their race. They finished their race. What are they waiting? For their eternal reward. That is what the focus of the church is always. In Acts 7.31 says, There is a day set. There is a day set. Through Jesus Christ, He he has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained." ordained. Jesus will judge. And Hebrews 6 and verse 2, you know it very well by now. Doctrine of baptisms, laying of hands, of resurrection of dead and of? What is that? Meaning it cannot be changed. It's an eternal judgment. The judgment continues through all of eternity. It is set forever, everybody's life. It's an eternal judgment. It's not called judgment. It's called eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. two more verses, I'll tell you that on Sunday. But as I stop, you know, I don't believe in all mystics, but some mystics are genuine men of God. And one of the greatest mystics who ever, ever lived was an Indian. Mystic means who have seen into that realm. Was an Indian from Punjab called Sadhu Sundar Singh. In one of his visions, he actually says what heaven is like. Okay, He says heaven is like this. He says this is New Jerusalem. Absolutely brilliant. Then there is, that is called level one. Then there is level two, level three, level four, level five, level six, level seven. Heaven is caught in seven levels. And he says, those who are in one closest to God can come to two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven cannot go to six. Six can go to seven. Five can go to six and seven, but cannot go to four. Four can go to five, six, seven. Three can go to four, five, six, seven. One can go everywhere. One can approach God. And it's set for eternity. I'm not talking about places. I'm saying about how you will know God. Perception changes. And he says, this is what you're running for. And it is eternal. And everything the devil does to which saved people is to take our eyes of eternity. So that he cannot unsave you. But he can steal. Your reward. Cause you to lose our reward. So God says be very careful. How you build. With what you build. Because it will be all tested with. Fire. should stand the fire of God's judgment. Shall we pray. Father this evening we just come to you Lord. Yes Father. Your children every Wednesday from far. And near. Tired. Weary, whole day's work, we come, Lord. We come for one reason, one reason alone, Lord. Because the kingdom that is coming is worth all the sacrifice, Lord. Eternity will pay. All that your children go through now, there is a day that is set when we will be rewarded. For we chose to walk by faith. We saw nothing. Some of us may see nothing in this life. But we persevered in patience. We worked in faith. We labored in love for you. But you have said a day is coming. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I pray, Father, every day, when we go out into the world, our eyes will be on you. And your coming kingdom. And our affections will be set on you. And we will not allow this world, the pleasures, or the pressure, steal of affections, Lord. It belongs to you and to you alone. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely and you will take us safely, we believe, Lord. Now, once again, I commit everyone who is in the hospital, in the ICU, I speak life into their bodies, Father. Because you have proclaimed in your word, you shall not die, but live And proclaim the works of God. There are some the devil is trying to kill. But they will not die. Because their work is not over. Therefore by faith as a church we agree. And we speak life into their soul. into And healing into their mortal bodies Lord. And we command in the name of Jesus. Pick up your mat and walk. Thank you. Thank you Father. Thank you Lord. Because it is written. I send forth my word and healed you of your infirmities. We confess, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.